when we sat in Jamie Vardy's house watching their game, Chelsea against Tottenham, and they drew the game, we eventually said, okay, let's get the Premier League done. And it was simply never in our minds. Also, sitting there, I, I was still like, it's not our role to win the Premier League. Everybody else has to do it, but not us. And But when the final whistle blew, it was madness. It was, oh, this feeling was insane. Sebastian Alvarado, welcome to another episode of Coffee and Football, the show where I sit down with some of the most influential profiles in the game to learn about their lives and career journeys. Today's guest is Christian Fuchs, a former national team captain for Austria and Leicester City player. He was one of the main profiles on the team that against all odds ended up pulling off perhaps the greatest upset in sports history by winning the Premier League in 2016. In addition to discussing the journey and the aftermath of that season, we dive into his playing career that started in a tiny town in Austria, his entrepreneurial ambitions, the No Fuchs Given brand, his almost monthly commutes between Leicester and New York City. Christian is as much of a profile off the field as he's on it, and you'll understand why. And just like the last episode, this one has two parts, with the second part being released next week. So without further ado, here's part one with Christian Fuchs. Christian, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for taking the time, especially since it's your vacation. So really appreciate it. Thanks, Sebastian, and thank you for the coffee. Very much appreciate it after a nice night uh, out with you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, we had to remind ourselves what, yeah. what we basically talked we about. We just had a little catch-up. Yeah, you're, we'll edit this part out, but... You, 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 <laughs> you don't want to expose yourself <laughs> no i don't want to expose you but you do know how to party i can tell that well fantastic my wife is here <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have the the wife and the agent here uh, overlooking so that yeah you know, we oh don't get i really need to be nice now okay exactly to my first question since the theme is coffee and football always has to be uh, how do you typically like your coffee oh that's a very obvious question i like it different ways to be fair right now we have it black Usually my coffee is like uh, just an Americano with a shot of milk. Where do you typically get it? Anywhere. At home. <laughs> I have a nice coffee machine at home with uh, fresh beans, Colombia beans, obviously. And yeah, I brew it myself. I, I got to tell you, your coffee is the best right after mine. Next time you need to come to mine to have some Fuchs coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And I'll, I'll pick you up on that. Uh, you're here in New York now. Uh, I understand you spend quite a bit of time here, even during season. How come? Because my family is living over here. That's uh, the main se- the main reason, obviously. I want to see my, my kids uh, throughout the year. They are traveling a lot. They're coming to Leicester all the time. They're coming uh, yeah, overseas, and it's, uh, it's a lot of traveling, which I appreciate. But then uh, I want to stop that, at least when I can. I come over here whenever there's an international break, whenever... In the summer, when I, it's my vacation time, then I'm here constantly, and yeah, I try to be here as much as possible. How long have they uh, been here? Forever. Wow. <laughs> well, I got to know my wife here in uh, in uh, New York. I don't need to tell the story now, but uh, we, we met here five years ago. 
So now, yeah, my, my boys are growing up here and yeah, I don't want to take them out of school and bring them to, to England. I mean, they, they're just growing up here. It's a good city to grow up in. It's a good country to grow up in. So I'm happy here. What language, uh, do you speak with them? Well, I tried at the beginning to speak some German, but I realized that because of the distance and not being in regular contact, contact every day in person, it kind of fades away and, um, it doesn't really work out. So I think by the time I'm here, which I'm planning to do in two years from now, I'm trying to focus more on that. But right now it's mainly English. You mentioned that you're here now, I guess, even more because of the international breaks. Exactly. You retired uh, last year from the national team. How does it work like during season? Do you always have to report to the team that you're traveling or, or do you just get out any break that you can get? Well, we have those international breaks that are giving me four days now. Back then, as you said, I retired from the national team, but when I played for the national team, there were no, no days off throughout the year, so it was only limited to the summertime. And now those four day, days, they help a lot. I need to tell them, okay, I'm, I'm going to New York, and they usually tell me, okay, enjoy your trip, have fun with the family, but it's because of uh, doping reasons. So they are not coming to check in England because it means if I'm not showing up within 24 hours, that's a positive uh, check and that... Uh, yeah, would restrict me from playing football. Has it ever been close? No, because I always tell him where I am. I'm pretty transparent. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so now during the off-season, what do you do to keep in shape? We get our own schedule, our running schedule from the from the club. It's pretty long schedule, to be fair, because uh, I'm here now for about six, five weeks, six weeks, and four of them is running. And with my, the good thing is that I probably do more than any other player because I'm running my soccer camps and I want to be involved. So I'm literally putting on my, you call them cleats here. In fact, they are boots. So I'm putting on my cleats and I'm, I'm just a footballer and I want to be on the field. I'm not a coach. I just want to run after the ball and, uh, and score goals against the younger ones. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, the I can score goals. You'll take any goal, right? Yeah, I'll take them all. I'm I'm leading goal scorer in my camp. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, to be fair, I'm I very much enjoy the time on the field with younger players and see their enthusiasm, and I hope I can guide them and give back some that I experienced in my career. What's the ultimate goal with the camps? Find talent. In all fairness, find talent. Scout them here. Trying to. I don't want to create a team itself, but because we are located in Austria and the UK and in, in the USA, I want to kind of create a world team that we can bring to England, get the attention of a lot of scouts, teams. And I hope that we can help some kids make the dream come true and uh, become professionals in Europe. That's my ultimate goal. Uh, is it mainly that you would send like individuals or do you send them as a team to play? Or We already had three Three boys over in Europe, two were training with Leicester City. One was training for two weeks with uh, Mattersburg, my home, home team. And it can be that way, which is, which is great. And then, as I told you, I want to put together a team that I bring over to, to the UK. I want to bring them to, to England because that's simply where football is, is at home and get them in front of teams, in front of scouts, play three games, two games, whatever it is. And see how they compete with them. And hopefully there's this one Fuchs running around that can sign at Leicester. 
What are the ages? Eight to 16 right now. How would you describe the level? Or how, how do you view, I guess, both the level where it is today and, and what do you see as the, the potential in, in the American market? So as of right now, I, I have to, to make this answer a little bit uh, more detailed. So players here, they are very fit. Their fitness is great. The technique is great. What we experience now from bringing boys over from the sides that we have compared to each other is that the decision-making sometimes is not fast enough. So we are now in the process of getting a, a weekly side in, in America. Right now we're planning upstate New York, but we also want to do one in, in Manhattan and maybe one just in the suburbs. And we want to work with those kids on those specific points. And when we think, okay, you're ready then we are happy to, to offer the venue to bring them to Europe. And listen, everybody, every kid here right now is watching Champions League, is watching Premier League, is watching La Liga, whatever it is. And uh, if they have the dream, the ambitions, and also the talent, and <laughs> most of all the, the right attitude to go there and give their best, then we will decide together what's the best for them. Take me through a typical day for you. Well, now we're, we're during vacation, but let's go to when, when you're in Leicester and, and during season. So from the moment you get up and then from there on. Let me see. I mean, as a footballer, you always have some routines, which, are, you know, I'm always putting on my left, my left sock before the right one. I'm putting on the, my, my shorts with the left leg first. People don't understand that most of the footballers have a superstition some are bigger, some are smaller, but mine is obviously everything has to start with the left foot. Am I completely off topic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, so how does my day look like? See, you got me really off topic because I don't, I'm so out of this routine. I think usually I'm getting up at 830 I'm not pretty sure right now. I mean, the last time I got up was four weeks, five weeks ago for training. But then let's say, okay, let's say it's 830. I'm getting up, getting my coffee ready, go to training, have breakfast there. Then obviously at 1030, we always start with training, get training done, um, go home. No, I have lunch at the training ground. Then I go home and then there are several projects that I'm working on. It's, it's my soccer camp, Fox Soccer Academy, or it's, uh, some clothing. I'm interested in clothing factory in the in clothing business, uh, which is a funny way to express myself. In what way? Well, first of all, the brand is called No Fuchs Given, which is my name, Christian Fuchs. So it's not a curse, but it's uh, an attitude that I want to transport to everybody that's out there that can identify themselves with it. It's just living your life the way you want it and don't give too much Fuchs about anything. And... The way I express myself is in short clips, videos that I, I, for example, I challenged the other day Steve Nash in a, well, let's say it was an around the world challenge. It started pretty normal. Uh, he's pretty, he's pretty good in, in soccer. He's doing great drills. And, um, every challenge is coming then with a punishment. So the loser has to fulfill a punishment. In this case, I shared the punishment with him because it was simply too funny. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to take it away a little bit from him. And we had to call the room service and order some champagne. The problem is our mouth was stuffed with cotton balls. So this guy really couldn't understand what we were saying. And I said, I want champagne. And 
after five minutes, he understood, okay, I want something. He always repeated, yeah, you want something. I was like, yeah, I want champagne. So it, it was pretty frustrating, but yeah, I never got my champagne, it was, it, but it was a lot of fun. When did you start the uh, clothing line? It's our first birthday. It was in April last year in 2016. And it was, it started, as I said, as a as a fun project with, with the clips. And then we said, okay, let's do our own stuff. And it worked out pretty well. And is that something that you want to kind of grow and potentially work with once you retire? Definitely. Why not? I mean, we are, we are trying to give it a shot. As I said, we, it started as a as a joke, as a hobby, but the response was so good that we said, "Okay, let's let's see, let's let's try to invest a little bit, let's let's take it more serious." And I'm looking forward to do more in that, uh, especially after my career. Yes. As you mentioned, you wrapped up the season over a month ago. Now that you've had a little bit of time to reflect, obviously the league wasn't as successful as the season uh, previously, but you had a great Champions League run. Um, how do you feel about the season now that you've had some time to kind of absorb it and, and think about it? You know, the expectations into the reigning champions are always higher than when, you, when you're when a team that nobody's expecting anything from. So winning the Premier League with 5,000 to 1 odd, I don't think it really helped us the following year because now the expectations were much higher. But we still know that we are not that big team like Manchester City, Manchester United, where you simply have unlimited amounts of money to spend. No, we, we were basically the same team. We had Kante, we, we lost Kante to Chelsea, who was a very vital player in our system the, the year before. Uh, overall, I think, you know, playing in the Champions League, which adds another thing was 10 games is, is pretty tough given the, the size of the squad. So we, most of the time played with the same squad, with the same players. Maybe here and there we changed something. So in my eyes, we played a good season. Obviously at the end of the season to maintain Premier League was very important. I think we did well there. We had a great run. And Champions League, we are very proud of. So this is something that nobody can take away from us. Also because, I mean, I played Champions League before with Schalke, but this was even more special because it, it came from a season that that simply is in sports history always a, a big thing. How would you say that your life has changed after becoming a Premier League champion? It uh, it turned life upside down. Uh, the exposure was immense. The first couple of days right after winning the Premier League was insane. I, I could not have pictured that. I mean, just to put in, a, in numbers, you know, Austria is a small country, but we had to... We had to decline 180 requests just from Austria for interview requests. It's really, it, it was huge. And for me, it's still, okay, we won the title. Amazing. But because it's my daily job still, I still cannot really understand what, what happened there. I mean, so many people are talking to me about it and they always say it's the biggest thing that ever happened in sports history. Meanwhile, for me, it's something that I do every day. <laughs> Not winning the title, obviously, but but playing football. And so I, I believe when I when I stop playing football, then I will get to understand what it really meant. Is it all uh, for the better? Is it all positive, or are there things that have become challenging, or that's been kind of negative in your day to day life? 
I think overall it has a positive effect. I mean, winning a title is, is something good and you should aspire for more. I like to come here to New York because, uh, because you have more privacy, because not too many people know you on the street, which is kind of not possible when you, I mean, I'm living in Leicester. It's not really my favorite thing to go to the city and just walk around or go to restaurants. I prefer to go then to London where you have again more privacy, but. You know, that comes with winning a title, with winning the Premier League, which is the biggest league, obviously, in the, in the whole world. So not too many bad things, to be fair. Yeah, I bet. Um, hey, it brought us together. Exactly, it did. Well, yeah, uh, I, I guess uh, it did. Uh, yeah. I, I did know about your name before <laughs> okay, that. Good. So. Good. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> because um, I'm Swedish and, and we've played you guys. and uh, I would love to say some Swedish words here right now. Feel free. Uh, no, you, I know you're going to cut them out. <laughs> <laughs> you had a couple of good ones, uh, but but you did mention you do you still have some some friendships in in Sweden as well from your exactly. time in exactly in Germany. Matthias Concha, who I played with in in Bochum. Yeah, he's a, he's like like you. He's half Chilean, yeah, Chilean, yeah. So he's he's a fun dude. I've heard he's a character, big time. Oh, you should definitely slick. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to slick at no, him, no, no, no. no. <laughs> in, in no way. We are going to get into um, talking more about that amazing season and about your career, but I'd like to rewind the tape a bit first and uh, ask a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, Where did you grow up? In a little town called Southend, where like 500 people living there, if so. Uh, it's on the countryside, so I was out every day and out and about with friends playing football all day long. That was all we did every day. And it was, it was a great time. I'm not that often there anymore because now living in England and And having family here in New York doesn't really allow me throughout the year to go back to Austria, but it's a nice place to go to. In what way would you say that that place has shaped you to become who you are today? That's a good question. Not, not too many people ask me that yet. See, I left this town pretty early when I was 11 years old. I went to a bigger club called Wiener Neustadt. They're playing now in the Austrian Bundesliga, first league. And I was literally playing back then with 15 years against grown-ups where so that's an interesting story when i when i was 11 12 years old all those academies that are that are in austria that are having a great youth system they said that i'm not good enough for them and you know you can take it either way you can either say okay you can let it affect you in a negative way or in a positive way. And uh, for me, it was then, okay, I'm going to show you guys what's up. And that was around when I was 11, 12 years old. And and five years later, I signed my first professional contract. I found a guy, Heinz Griesmeier, who simply stood by my side, who helped me in every way possible. We did some extra shifts in training, did a lot of one-on-one -on -one sessions. And, and he's now running Fox Soccer Academy in Austria, which is great. And that certainly was one of the main facts, I think, that I was able to go that way, even without those so-called academies, which are not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. They have great educational system there, but th there are other ways possible. And uh, that's also something that I want to 
show my players when they join Fox Soccer Academy that there are other ways, even though they say you might not be good enough, it's not always the case. Did you always believe in yourself? Because that, that must be a, a, a pretty I, tough... I, I needed to. Where, where I, does that confidence come from? That's what my wife is asking me every day. Where <laughs> do you have all this confidence from? Because I don't give a fooks. <laughs> I, th I think it was very important to to be confident, but in the same time humble. So I was never, I never thought of myself, yeah, I'm the shit, you know. I always knew I can learn more and more and more. And I always, I always wanted to learn more. I never, I never really saw myself being, being good enough to achieve this and that. No, there, there were other players, believe me, that were my same age and they thought they are done already in their development. And that's uh, also a lot of credit to my parents and to Heinz Griesmeier that they kept me down to earth and and really showed me, you know, there's so much more you need to learn. And even when I played professional for Mattersburg and I, I had my first call up for the Austrian national team, which was when I was 19, I was only sub and I played the last 10 minutes against Croatia and it was my first international experience. And sitting on the on the substitutes bench and watching the Croatian players, which were Petric and uh, you name them. They were really well-known players and see how physical they are. And I was already professional for two years. Just showed me, okay, there's a lot, a lot to learn. And uh, and again, I kept going, I kept going. And to your point, I think it's important to, to pass on to kids today, especially all over the world, because academy systems are coming into place. It's getting more competitive at a younger age. And if, if you're 10, 11, 12, it's pretty tough to hear that you're not oh, good yeah. enough. Oh, yeah. It, it is. But then, as I said, you can take it either way. You can make the best out of it or you can literally duck and just give up, which should not be the case. What did your parents do for a living? Oh, they're both retired. I mean, my mom retired a long time ago. My dad was, uh, he was running the financial department at a, at a company and... Yeah, my mom was at home taking care of me. What's the most important advice that your father gave you? Now you take me really back in a long, a long time. See, all I remember from my childhood, but I, I believe that's uh, the case with every parent is that he did homework with me <laughs> and there was always a fight. So I, I think what I learned is just to get shit done just to get it done and don't delay it too much just get it done whatever it is if it's a small project big project doesn't matter just get it done did you have any idols growing up i was looking up to eric Cantona when he played for manchester united back then and even later for to rivaldo when he played for barcelona he almost had the same strong foot left foot that i have so he was pretty decent Yeah, he's close to you. He's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was that moment when, when you first realized that, that you had what it took to become a professional? Do you remember that? I never really realized that myself. I only had people coming over to me saying or, or talking about me. And uh, people told me then about people that talk about me uh, that... I'm standing out, but I, I never really, and I, even now I don't like to 
like to talk about myself too much about my performances others can do that so I was just going I, I I think I had the talent at some point or at least a work ethic to get there wanting to work and work, want to work your ass off helped me a lot and then you ended up signing professionally you mentioned uh, Mattersburg Mattersburg yeah, uh, that's fine. That's fine. You know how to pronounce it. Yeah, German is one of the language, uh, languages I don't oh, know. It's, it's horrible to learn. <laughs> Ask her. <laughs> <laughs> um, you signed, I, I believe it was around 2002. Three. 2003, the first professional contract. Take me through that. How did it happen? Heinz Griesmeier. So Heinz Griesmeier, the guy that I told you about, that helped me push myself to the limit. He also built the initial contact to, to Mattersburg and I had two trainings with him, with the first team, me being a 16-year-old then. And there was this one guy called Didi Kübauer, who has a big name in Austria. So he played in Spain, he played in Germany for Wolfsburg. And, and what happened, and again, people told me afterwards that that was one of the main reasons, which sounds probably stupid, but that's what it is. So we had this training and Obviously, those older guys, they want to see what he's made out of, this young boy. So I went there, and they tackled me hard. And uh, I think five minutes later, he was on the floor by me, and I said, I'm sorry. And afterwards, people were telling me, well, they like that attitude, that you don't care what the name is, that you just want to play your football. And uh, if they have to feel it, then, uh, or if they have to be in pain, then they have to be in pain. You know, If you have to hurt somebody, then you hurt somebody. So it, it sounds weird probably, but that was it. After that, you ended up signing with uh, Bochum. Was that in... Five years later, yeah. Or was it five years? Five years okay, later, five yeah. years. Well, it, which 2008 is not, after the Euros, yeah. Well, you were st still quite... I was still quite young, yeah. 22 is quite young. Where was the team in when you signed? First league. So that's what I can tell about my career, that I only played first league in each, in each country I played in. How was that transition to end up in the Bundesliga? It was okay because we had two months of uh, preseason for the Euros and the, the Euro 2008 in Austria. So I played with players that already played in Germany for the Austrian national team, obviously. And it helped a lot because the, the quality was already higher than it was in the Austrian Bundesliga. So it was, it was okay. It was not too hard. What was like the biggest impression or the biggest surprise for you in, in coming to that league, being one of the very top leagues in the world of that beside all the professionalism, that it's a, it's a big league that you still can create friendships. It was really like Matthias Concha. He was there when I, when I showed up in Bochum. And as, a, as we both know, we still are in touch here and there. And he's simply a nice guy to have around. And you, you might think that the higher up you get, that there's less friendship, but there's still some there. And you still want to have fun and want to enjoy the time playing football with your teammates. So... That's something that was a great experience to me. How did you feel in, in the Bundesliga? How, how did you perform? Because all of a sudden you're, you're playing against you know, the Bayern Munichs. And, and the, I, I guess it was pretty okay because given the fact that I started with Bochum, who is usually a, a team that goes up and down, then after two years ending up at Mainz where we, had the f where we conquered the fifth spot, which was the, the highest placement for, for Mainz in the history, and then playing for Schalke in the Europa League and Champions League, which is one of the main clubs in, in Germany. So I, I think I did pretty well. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with uh, my career there, seven great years. But then after those seven years, I thought, okay, I need, I need a change for myself. I need to experience something else. And 
yeah, England came across, Leicester came across. They wanted to win the Premier League. I said, okay, and uh, I uh, made my move there. So take me through that. When, uh, <laughs> when you it was f- not all the way like that, as you know. I, I oh, know okay, okay. But, but take me through that. How was it that, how did it happen that you were uh, brought over to, uh, to Leicester City? Well, a lot of people think it's that glamorous and, uh, well, that might be the case with Ronaldo, with Messi, if they ever make another transfer to another club. I doubt with Messi. But usually it's the agent is getting him some offers and then you weigh your options. So I had some offers from Russia where, given my fam- family situation, I didn't want to move too far away because that would have meant 11 hours traveling instead of six, seven hours where it is now. And England, I always wanted to play in England. The Foxes, Leicester, came across, which is also my name. So Fuchs means fox in German. And I took the chance. I went there, assigned, and that's it. It's not glamorous at all. But, so I signed for them, and then I went on vacation. And we were at the beach in Antigua, and suddenly my agent's calling me saying, "Um, are you sitting? I'm like, no, why? Well sit down because I have some news. I'm like, okay, hit me. Well, cannot be that bad. Well, they just fired Nigel Pearson. So he's the manager, you have to know, who signed me for Leicester. I never met him up until now, not in person. I just spoke to him twice on the phone. And you know how it is when you just join a new team with a manager that wanted you and suddenly this manager disappears and he's not there anymore. You're kind of lost. (laughs) Um, But... What was going through your head when you heard that? Uh, well, I needed a drink. <laughs> <laughs> I was just standing at the bar, so I got my non-alcoholic drink, obviously. And uh, See, the thing is, I just took it the way it is. And like I did at the beginning of my career, when some people told me I'm not good enough, I just wanted to make the best of the situation. And, and it was Claudio Ranieri who, exactly. who came in. Exactly. What was your first meeting with him like? He was presented in Austria. We were at, at the camp. I only know, knew Ranieri from TV, so he came across like a very strict person, uh, typical Italian. No jokes, but it turned out to be the complete opposite way. So he he was choking every day, literally. I, I think he also learned from the years and becoming older that not everything has to be 100% strict so he gave us a lot of freedom and it worked out pretty well so this Italian coach coming to this this team Leicester that barely escaped relegation the year before with the great escape and and suddenly you're <laughs> completely on the other side of the table and I mean in the Premier League but it's, it's an amazing story. How would you describe the team when you first got there? My first impression was a very good one. So I thought, how can this team play against relegation? How can it be? I was kind of right because the following year we didn't play against relegation even better. And I, but I, I, I was pretty confident that we will escape this relegation fight very fast because the quality was simply there. And the last games of the previous season just showed, okay, there's the quality to, to achieve more than that. So I had a very positive one, and I was pretty happy and pretty confident to join the team. What players uh, made the biggest impression on you at the beginning? I wouldn't say there was this one outstanding player. It was just the group, how the group works, how the dynamics are, and that it was simply a 
being together, working together instead of doing individual stuff, which I had in my career too at several clubs. But this was very impressive that we really worked together as a team and, and tried to achieve a win in every game. And during that first preseason, did you guys set up any goals or what were those expectations? Maintain Premier League. That was <laughs> it. it. I mean, throughout. So at the beginning, it was 40 points. So we had 36 points after not even half the way of the season. We still set 40 points. <laughs> so we really took it step by step. When we achieved the 40 points, we said, okay, uh, first, first 10, top 10 of the table. And so on and so on. And eventually when we, when we sat in Jamie Vardy's house watching their game, Chelsea against Tottenham, and they drew the game, we eventually said, okay, let's get the Premier League done. And it was simply never in our minds. Also sitting there, I, I was still like, it's not our role to win the Premier League. Everybody else has to do it, but not us. And. But when the final whistle blew, it was madness. It was, oh, this feeling was insane. Yeah, and the, oh. there's that short video that's been circulated quite a bit. That I showed you on my phone also the other night. That's still there in original. What happened after that at the house? We were watching Sky Sports News on TV. <laughs> and it was live broadcasted from outside the house. <laughs> so it was a weird feeling. And But when I left, because... Raluca, my wife, she was there, but she was at home and I simply wanted to share this moment with her. So I took off after an hour or so. And, but leaving the house, it was, I guess that's how Hollywood stars feel. So you're driving the car and because of all the flash from the, from the cameras, you cannot see where you're going. So you just go blind and you hope not to hit anybody. It was, it was madness. It was literally madness. Benteke with a header away. So, I mean, obviously people started talking about Leicester, started taking, and, and the media and the fans started taking the team quite seriously, maybe even halfway through the season. What was that feeling like? Or what, how, how did their locker room kind of think about it? Because I, I remember it myself, even, you know, around, around Christmas time, people were saying, whoa, could this maybe happen? I, I think. I think the media and people outside, or let's say the majority of them, were just waiting for us to to fall and to stop winning and to just get back to the old Leicester. It wasn't. It was not never really a topic for us. So we just went on and tried to give our best, ignoring whatever was written, whatever was spoken about. And I think that that was good for us. That was the strength that we had. That we were just confident with what we are doing. And okay. If we are not winning the Premier League, we didn't win in the, in the in the previous 135 years. So why should we win it this year? But hey, we did it. We have won more than some other other clubs in the Premier League, and we were very happy with that. Yeah, I bet. And um, did you did you support Leicester City? That's my question to you now. For yeah. the win, for the win, yes, for the win, 100%. Yeah. Uh, I can't say that I have a specific team in the Premier League that. That's my team, so to speak. Um, but there was a Swedish guy who used to play there back in the late 90s, I'd like to say. Um, Pontus Komark. Okay. <laughs> he was a right back. And obviously the Premier League is huge in Sweden, so you yeah. would already be you know, fairly aware of that. And I guess in today's football landscape, and that's also something I wanted to ask you about, because it's become so tremendously commercial. 
even the top teams in England, like sometimes I think Man City has done it, probably Chelsea too, where they have almost no English players on the pitch. It's just put together by these huge stars, you know. So I think that's also why you got, you know, a lot of fans from, from outside of the core Leicester fans to, yeah. to kind of root for, for that team. Leicester has a lot of English players. That's a thing. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. which is a big difference. It's a huge difference. Um, overall, it's still the case that, as you said, when with all those big teams, that they are not really building up on the youth or on the youth players. And I spoke to was it Demari Gray or Ben Chilwell when they played against the German under 21s national team. The numbers were something like 300 Bundesliga games against 60 Premier League games. All together, the both teams. So, and, and literally, Germany was. I think they won against England. So, it just shows where where the priorities are. Yeah, um, the kind of easy answer to why it was such a good season, and and you know, I've heard it, and I've heard you say it a couple of times too. Yeah, we had a great group, and we believed in ourselves. But is there anything that you can kind of point to that most people might not be aware of? of why that became such a success. Yeah, we were a great group and we believed in us. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at some point when you when you keep winning and the confidence grows like crazy, it you're in, in a flow. And I think it's down to believe in your own strength and just be aware that, first of all, you're a Premier League player, so you're a great player. And then uh, the the support within the team, not to be jealous on it, on anybody, just, okay, I'm not playing, but I support the team outside. I, I try to give everything. I try to cheer for them. Uh, you know, it's, we had players that maybe played one or two games, but they performed in training and they kept the level in the training high. So that helped us to, to maintain the same performance, to maintain the level of, of performance pretty high. And yeah, I mean, for me, very crucial in that season was the Manchester City game, which was simply, it was, it was a demonstration of great football, and it was kind of that that turning point where where some realized from the outside, okay, that could really happen, and we did. For us, it was never, as I told you before, it was never really the topic that we we never really thought about. Okay, we're gonna win. Them. No, never. So I cannot give you another explanation than it coming down to teamwork an honest work on the field because we didn't have the big stars. They they resulted out of that season, but we didn't have the big stars back then. The, the big star was the team. And Ranieri was hailed like a king for, afterward. For him, yeah. For him, I mean, for him giving us that freedom that we needed and not putting us on a short leash helped a lot. And on that note, these days we, we see managers who... I mean, they're they're almost as famous as some of the biggest star players, and they seem to be getting a bigger and bigger role. In your mind, though, I mean, you you've gone through a few different clubs, a few different countries. How big of a difference does a manager really make? I think it's about so you work with people, and you need to know how to manage people. It's not necessarily about. I mean, obviously, it's important that you know football, that you know tactics, but it's about managing people, knowing that they have needs, personal needs, human needs, which is just normal. For me, it's, you know, every minute I can spend with my family here overseas, 
I'm I'm happy and it makes me happy and it, if if they give you this opportunity then you're willing to give back. Yes, it's my job, but you can only do your job or you can do your job much much better when you feel feel happy, when your own values are appreciated. And he he was very able in that. He was very good with handling people, which is in my eyes, a much bigger role because he has his assistant coaches. He has the coaches that are running the program on the field, the daily program, but that's that's a big role that maybe some people under there underestimate. What are the main differences be- between, say, him and, and then Craig, who took over after? <laughs> that's something that, that people want to know, but I, I started working with both of them at the same time, and Craig is... As much as Claudio, he's very good in that as well. He knows what the players need. He works with them. He worked with them over the last couple of years, so he knows them inside out. And yeah, he's also. I think he's he's a great manager. So not all that much has necessarily changed because he came in. <laughs> See, he, he, Claudio Ranieri got fired, and three days later we won against Liverpool and had a great performance. So what can you change within two days? You cannot really change. You only can change the mindset a little bit and affect it, and and getting back to what made us strong. and And Greg is, as I said, he's very good in that. He's he knows he knows exactly how to treat the players. He knows exactly what the players need. And football wise, you can what can you change in two days? You have to be mess, messiahs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but was there anything like, let's say, in your mind that that changed at that moment once you found out that? Ranieri. I, to be honest, I was shocked because nobody expected it right then. Um, in so many other occasions in my career, I can say, for me, it's it's just a part of the business. I had, I was playing in Germany for seven years. No, I, I played overall for fifteen years now, and I had as many managers. So it just becomes a part of the business. And as nice as the story was with uh, Leicester winning the league, being the great underdogs, as as much or as hard it is not being successful but needing to get back on, on winning streaks to maintain the league. So you have to weigh what's more important, the Cinderella story or maintaining the Premier League. And it was a decision that the bosses took and with a lot of other decisions they were kind of right thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed it if you did please subscribe on itunes and write a review i would really appreciate it as we grow this podcast one listener at a time if you have any feedback or ideas feel free to send me an email at sebastian at coffeeandfootball.com you can also link up with me via twitter the handle is at coffees football stay tuned for the next episode it will be another amazing one thanks again and have a great week